Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, returning guest. His name is Igor Sarsky. Last name is spelled S-A-R-S-K-Y. This is probably our fifth or sixth show. I know we've done three shows on the order of nine angles. He's actually the person who kind of introduced me to the group. And then uh, I recall doing a show with him and Jim Smith. And we were just kind of talking on just talking chatting on social media and he was talking about how going back through some of the stuff that i had gone through for my book global death cult would be, be worthwhile james mason who was uh really this early nazi who knew a lot of these guys worked under uh rockwell and rockwell was very much kind of an international kind of like the ON uh, the ona before it even existed but some kind of an international figure but uh we're just going to go over some things and we might actually tie in some Kind of SFK typology or actors or, or those types of things um, also into this talk. So Igor Sarsky, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Will. Glad to be back. For people who didn't hear kind of our earlier stuff, you're blowing into your mic. Can you just pull your, I don't know if you've got the headset on or something, but uh, if, for people who didn't hear our earlier conversations, can you kind of talk about, I mean, you do a lot of different research and a connected to a lot of different people but can you kind of go back what you you've researched and then why you think it's worthwhile to kind of revisit uh, mason and siege yeah so people know me predominantly for two different uh, areas of research is that better by the way on my yeah mind? much better much better perfect Thanks. i moved it further away from my yeah no. <laughs> okay, cool. cool um people predominantly know me for two uh, schools of uh, research one being the smiley face killer phenomenon and the second being the order of nine angles, or typically just, you know, simply occult research in that area. Um, the ONA being, you know, the main one I've spoken upon. Um, the, uh, the SFK research, as I said in my first video with you, is kind of very important to me because, you know, it, it was um, personal to me originally. I, as I said, I knew someone who, who uh, succumbed to a similar phenomenon. But if somebody, I guess if people have never, if people are new to the phenomenon, the best way to probably describe it is um, it's a global phenomenon. It's happening basically all around the world um, in different clusters ever since probably around the mid 90s. But at the same time, that's when Internet proliferated. So it's hard to really know uh, tracking wise um, of the cases. But um, the. Uh, the smiley face killer, as I said, was extremely, is, is extremely important to me. Um, and I've been researching it for about 13 years, which is, I mean, now that I look back off on it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's quite a, it's quite a journey, but, um, yeah. And we, we've done a couple, uh, uh videos on kind of a methodology, uh, the, you know, the potential ideology behind the smiley face killer, the way they operate and, you know, the profile. Um, and um, as I said, I guess, as I said, for people who are new to the smiley face killer, it can best be described as the phenomenon, what happens when a young male leaves a bar, a party, or some type of event essentially involved in nightlife, um, goes missing, simply seems to vanish, um, and is later found in water um, dead with no evidence, discernible evidence ever found in either direction as to whether or not 
it was an accident or a drowning or a, sorry, or a murder. And the, the smiley face, what's so interesting about the smiley face killer to me is that the killers go through extraordinary length, sorry, the killers go through extraordinary lengths to ensure that the death's not perceived as a, as a murder. Um, and to me, that has to be the most interesting part of the profile. Agreed. So it's like you have hundreds of these types of deaths that are listed on uh, footsteps at the at the water's edge, amongst other things. Jim Smith, Gannon Gilbertson, listing all kinds of different cases. I've done a number. I probably covered 120 cases, but it is remarkable the thought processes and the the fact that they haven't been caught. Somebody hasn't been caught doing this yet, or to our knowledge, there may have been perps caught, but maybe not tied to this phenomenon, right? So I've talked about Latunsky, this guy in uh, Michigan who, you know, probably uh, <clears throat> probably was involved in other murders. Probably wasn't his first kill, this guy uh, that he killed. But I'm thinking about this guy, Hewerman, the Lisk, or the Long Island serial killer, or the Gilgo Beach murderer. Which just broke, yeah. Right. So there's only, that guy only has three, I think in the uh, bail bond, the bail document or whatever that he they're only tied three cases to him but he's 59 so something tells me he might have been a lot more busy than that so it's just something about this smiley face killing so what is this type of person who's involved in these types of death if there is a perfect or we we've we've alluded to kind of the profile but i i want to go over it today just a little bit because i think that as i said it connects into the siege um siege culture and the way in which um mason um, purports to, or basically teaches people um, how to execute um, a game plan, essentially like kind of Anton, what Anton Long does. Right. And it, that's why it ties into our previous research, but it also ties in our previous research because um, there's a lot of connections between the ONA and siege, siege culture, obviously. So, um, I mean, we can get there, but... Uh, but it, it is, sorry to interrupt, but it is interesting yeah. that both of those writings took place right at the same time. So for people who don't know, Siege is like one of the kind of go-to uh, manifestos of the hardest, farthest right Nazis. But it was written, it's a series of missives compiled that were written by James Mason from 1980 to 1986. And that's right around the time the ONA really kind of started uh, putting together their information as well. So it is it is uh, interesting. Uh, connection between those two those two writings yeah there's no doubt about that and i think just for the sake of this video the timing also lines up with when the proliferation of smiley face killers smiley face killings started happening around the world um as jack murphy says in his uh, great article he says that around 1997 is when it really started to um clusters really started to develop and he's right um that is definitely the kind of um, inception of clusters as it relates to common knowledge of them, right? There might have been clusters previous to the internet that people are unaware of, but as it relates to the you know known clusters where we start having evidence of them occurring, it's about 1997. Right, New York, Boston, um, the north, northwest, England, northeast, I England, say. England as well. Yeah, yeah. That, so that's the first part of the the profile for the smiley face killer. I would say um, is cases are global 
I mean, so right. whatever ideology is responsible. Um, and I'm not saying one ideology is responsible for all the deaths because the circumstances of the smiley face killer is very wide. I try and keep my cases very slim. Um, I, like I, I ensure that my list is very um, focused. And one way I do that is by ensuring that all the cases that I include are only cases where there is absolutely zero prima facie evidence as to what happened at the water. So there's some cases where there is some um, evidence or people are alluding to some instances, you know, people saw them by the water um, right. is one of them. People saw them uh, yelling near the water. People um, saw them right next to the water and they were really drunk. These are things that would just immediately disclude them from my list. Any, any type of explanation which would confirm um, why, uh, why or how the person went in the water would completely preclude them from be, being on my list. Agreed. And also family, well, what I take off of my list is also the family members say that they had a psychotic break or they were Correct. suicidal That's or something point. like that. And that the opposite, the ones that go on my list are the ones when the family members go, what the there's hell no happened? possible way. Yeah. That no actually possible. is a really good analysis because there is a lot of instances where the family members do provide great context as to what might have happened with the individual, whether they were suicidal, whether they had issues in their lives. And then there's the opposite where the family member says this person was a fantastic swimmer, right. um, very you know, great head on their shoulders, you know, wouldn't put themselves in bad situations, yet here we are. Right. Mentally stable, totally sensible. Those Only drank two drinks a night. Yeah, yeah, those are the those cases are that go on the list. And the cases you know, they are global. So as I was saying, whatever ideology is responsible for the greater part of the cases, or even let's say 10 to 15 to 30%, whatever it is, has to be global. Um, it has to be popular enough to permeate different countries, um, different areas of the world. Um, it can't be, um, it can't be something, and it had to have permeated the world at that specific time, I guess is the point I'm making around that time. It can't be something that's new, something that just developed five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, it has to be something that has been around at that, but well, that was around at that time um, yes. and being disseminated at that time to individuals who are committing these murders, the ideology. Gotcha. So um, I don't know if you want to say anything else about the global part of the, de of the deaths. I mean, your, your book is called Global Death Cult. Yeah, I mean, it really is global. I mean, you you really can expand. You can, there's more and more cases. I like the most recent documentary, the French cases, Netherlands. Uh, obviously, I covered UK in my first documentary. That was 2017. But uh, once you realize, I mean, there probably are some in the Spanish-speaking world. There's been druggings in South America, too. So people are getting drugged and weird things happening to them. Uh, it seems like a lot over the, all over the world. We're drownings and water deaths and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so the second part of the profile, just to kind of like ensure that we get to the, the bulk of the video, is probably longevity, I would say. And it's interesting because a lot of people would, would argue that longevity plays kind of an interesting part with uh, the victim type, right? So people, one person, some people will argue that they're going after a particular type of victim. And then another person will argue that the victim doesn't really matter to them. It's just an easy pickings, right? It's just the situation. They're in a very vulnerable situation, these types of people. And it's a less about the type of victim and more about the fact that it's just an easy victim. Gotcha, right. Um, and 
So either one of those things had to be in this ideology, something about longevity, something about committing crimes without being caught, essentially. <laughs> right? Right, right. Or specific hatred of the specific type of individual and the, and the, the lifestyle that they represent. So it could have been both of these. I, mean, I, I, I was expecting both of these, um, right? Because they, are, they do exhibit type of both. Because you could, you could achieve longevity with all kinds of different victims. Why is it always the same type of victim? Right. right. It can't just be longevity. It has to be one part of it, but it can't just be it. There has to be, in my profile, a deep-seated hatred for this specific type of individual and the lifestyle they represent. And Jack Murphy, in his article, um, says specifically that he believes the victim choice suggests occult leanings. He uses those exact words. And I believe that that's kind of what he was getting at is the occult leanings of the victim choice is in regards to the lifestyle that they represent, right? The lifestyle of the type of individual who's responsible for the downfall of Western civilization, right? Uh, the hedonistic, unbridled, uh, you know, attack on nature type of individual um, who is, you know, more interested in escapism rather than, rather than, um, than, uh, than fulfilling their true potential. Um, and I think that that's what Jack Murphy kind of got at when he was saying the occult leanings of the uh, choice of victim. Right. So I don't know if you have anything to say on that one. I'm just trying to find that article he did. Very influential. Article. It's in so it's in SoFrep. I don't know if you typed that. Uh, SoFrep. I can put it in the chat here. Let me see if I can find it. The title of it is. Yeah, I just put the link in the chat there for you. And I like. I just was very attracted to the way he said those words. He used the word words occult four times in his profile. Um, Undetected team of serial killers stalking America. That's what correct. And Jack Murphy is actually as, as about as straight edge as you could get. I mean, this guy is the type of guy who's actually very authoritative. Um, and I don't say that lightly. Um, and he just, he just, you know, he he isn't somebody to. Um, you know, say something because he has a reputation, first of all, he's, you know, it seems to me that, you know, uh, it's the right type of person when you look at his background, when you, when you're looking for profiles, okay, who am I going to, you know, trust? This looks like the type of individual. And the fact that he uses the word occult four times, including occult uh, suggested leanings or occult or leaning suggested by the uh, choice occult leanings the guy was a ranger for you know Suggested eight years or something so like this is a correct special yeah. ops type of person so it's one special ops uh analyzing other special operators so it takes one to know one perhaps and we talked about that in the previous videos right the fact that the killings are kind of very high competency type killings where whatever ideology is responsible has to be paramilitaristic in nature um and or has to be competent enough to be able to fulfill some of these operational requirements, which are fooling a medical examiner, abducting a victim using um, blackout spots and CCTV cameras in areas where the victims are perceived to be vulnerable or they are perceived to have um, high risk lifestyles or lifestyles where they have low concern for their personal safety. Right, that's how society perceives them. Right. This is, you know, these are these are this is high level stuff, um, which is something that, as you said, you know, you want to go to a professional like that, like like Jack Murphy, when you're analyzing that type of stuff. Right. 
Okay, there it is. Let me see if I can pull this up. This is a really good article, people. Published 2017, March 24th. And I think that his podcast right now is, is very popular as well. I forgot the name. He's of gaining a pretty big following. There's yeah, no the way. Team House, I think is what it's called. The Team House. He's got good guests. I had a guy, uh, Legacy of Ashes, about the CIA on there. I saw that once. Murphy highlights this point as well. And then the fact that the killers are definitely high level, uh, have a high level of operational competency. Um, and I think that at this point, um, that has to be a component of the ideology, which means to me, as I said, there has to be some paramilitaristic component to it, um, which, which, you know, I believe that that's necessary. That is a, that is, that's one of the features of the profile that cannot be taken out, if you ask me. Gotcha. There's no other explanation for the success, the longevity, um, right, the, the way in which they're able to manipulate certain um certain not only public sentiments but just public institutions right they're able to undermine public institutions which are typically seen to be you know strong institutions or which people who are part of the social contract like envision as strong institutions right um so yeah it is interesting like how the ona kind of these institutions like it's almost like our institutions got infiltrated like somebody's doing an insight role on american institutions they've all been corrupted it's very uh, strange overlap of like the political current today and this ona idea of uh infiltration and stuff like that and it is interesting because murphy ends this article like something like that like as you say he says something like uh there's not a third, yeah. Serial killers usually don't present a national security threat, but one day they might. That's what he says. So, I think the national security threat is the lone wolf aspect of the killers, which I believe is like another part of the profile is the fact that the only way for the success to have been achieved long term globally by different individuals insinuates that there is no hierarchical structure. I mean, Mason talks about this in his writings, and we'll get to that. Um, but just in general, people understand that hierarchical structures are ripe for, for infiltration. You know, you, uh, you are able to infiltrate them and get all the information you need. Um, but if it's only one person doing each specific killing or very small groups, if not one to two people, I believe Mason in his writings does say that two people is too much. He uses that exact phrase. Right. His um, hero was that guy, uh, uh, John Franklin or whatever. He was a lone wolf killer. Like he killed like 20 people. He knew him. He knew him under his real name. I will contend that that is another piece of the profile that must be there because there is no way that there is some type of global hierarchical structure that these killers are under and they're operating under and getting, getting information from the top. It's just not possible because it would have broken already. There would have been leaks. It would have right. um, been, uh, been infiltrated. Um, Paul Joseph Franklin. It was a mix of uh, Paul Joseph Gil Goebbels and Benjamin Franklin. But he killed 22 people. He was just, his targets were African American and Jewish people. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a lot. That's a big kill rate. Imagine somebody who is doing this SFK killings. And I remember I've interviewed McDonough about uh, that one gay serial killer in LA. He had 100 deaths. He killed 100 people. It's off the charts. Frank or Frank Brown, his last name. 
So there may just be like, you know, three or four lone wolves out there just drugging people and doing horrible stuff. Yeah, or for the most part, whatever's being whatever ideology is responsible is in a hierarchical ideology it was an ideology that was just disseminated. And we discussed this with the ONA, which has a lot of, you know, you know, our talks with the ONA about the ONA have a lot of implications on what we're talking about today. Right. Um, simply because you have to ask yourself if the ONA was, you know, set up or revived in 2008 as a honeypot. <laughs> what, why were they targeting those specific individuals the way they were, right? There must have been crimes being committed there or else why were the feds interested, right? Right. And I think that's how Mason writings play into everything is they were obviously after people who were on the more extreme end, the more negative eugenic thought process of, you know, Mason's writings where, you know, you need to kind of, you know, become God and, and, and distribute natural justice upon, you know, certain people who are, who are, uh, you know, deleterious on society, right? And who are basically responsible for the, you know, decline of Western, you know, Western civilization. Um, so moving around, like getting to the end of the framework, I would say we talked about militaristic leanings. We talked about um, lone wolf. So those two things, if you believe that there has to be a lone wolf component and a militaristic leaning component, it's a very interesting, I think you already know where we're going with the profile, right? right, right. Um, and where we've gone already, kind of when we talked with the, about the ONA, which is stylized for people who are involved on the more extreme end of Mason's culture. Right. Right. And the paranoia too. One of the other aspects of, of uh, Mason's writing is the fact that he knows he's being monitored and he tells people you're going to be monitored. So the political, the surveillance paranoia is also suffused through his writing. So if you pick that up, imagine picking up the lone wolf, the paramilitary, the awareness of surveillance. So I think that's yeah, an important avoiding infiltration, component. ensuring yeah. that there's no there's no leaks, there's no suspicion, right? right? Because he was saying you. suspicion yeah. kills the groups, right? He was saying that, and that's almost goes back to Huerman. He used burner phones, right? So he was like, he thought he was very crafty in keeping his identity uh, from being determined. Yeah, I didn't know that he was he was using burner phones. Yeah, that. they have him going in pictures of him going in and buying burner phones and stuff, and that's kind of how they caught him because. They they found the use of some he he was very sinister. He would call uh, the big his victims' families and taunt them, and they could they could get an idea of where these burner phones were being used in Midtown Manhattan and where the calls were being made, and they tied them together. The authorities said somebody's calling from Midtown Manhattan, and also using this burner phone to arrange these uh, sex workers. Interesting stuff. So yeah, so. Yeah, and it's funny that that just broke recently. A lot of these cases with DNA, obviously, it's very uh, the advances are very uh, sophisticated. Yeah, and so they added the DNA to it as well. So they got him on a couple of other things. So they had, I think, the circumstantial evidence was the phone stuff, and then they got his pizza. They got a pizza from his office that he threw in a garbage can. They pulled that out, and then they got his DNA and tied it to a hair in one of the burlap sacks that he put at one of his victims. So that was kind of that sealed it yeah okay that's uh i'm happy we didn't do this on friday i was thinking in my head because that broke on friday and uh we were gonna do this on friday <laughs> that was a huge case man it's covered a lot yeah. on podcasts yeah. and stuff Big and one. here's another interesting thing is he was monitoring all of those podcasts and he was listening so they knew he was trying to see 
oh, what they were up to. There's no, which is, doubt. There's no yeah. doubt. So it's probably similar to people doing this SFK. I, I heard surprised. he wasn't even a suspect either. I heard that nobody had him as, uh, as their suspect at all. That's my understanding, yeah. Until they, they set up a special task force 2021, and that's how they, they went through the steps and and it was him. I think that he's they got the right guy. He's probably killed more more than those three people they have on the indictment. So getting to the end of the profile, I would say that you touched on this point actually earlier. And it's funny, you talked about institutional disruption or kind of like social critique built into the ideology. Um, and I I have that in my profile, I believe, because it's kind of intertwined with what Murphy meant by you know, occult leanings suggested by the choice of victims. Um, right, that the entire operation is actually, regardless of whether or not the killers want wanted that or not, it is a social critique um, of, and it is in disrupting institutions, right? Um, and uh, hypothetically speaking, let's say, for instance, in five to 10 years, it came out that 50% to 60% of these killings were murders. Um, what would that do? For the fabric of institutions so let's say one day it does come out that a large percentage of these were murders what would that do for the regular person's kind of like faith in institutions in society right probably diminish it quite 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 significantly um and to me as i said it's the the part about um the fact that the killers are accepting heightened risk with their modus operandi Right, the fact that they're choosing the specific victim time and time again, despite the fact that there could be easier victims, um, and despite the fact that you know there's multiple steps in this MO, which is to dump from at a third party location of water, um, which is very risky as well. Right, so they're adopting a lot when you could potentially bury them and you know they'd never be seen again and there wouldn't be any evidence. Right, I mean, there's lots of ways, but there, there it says to me that there's some type of deeper institutional hatred for that type of victim typology. Um, yes. And I think that that's kind of like built into the social critique aspect of the profile, that it has, there has to be something about the fact why it's always the same type of victim, why it has to be that specific type of victim, um, and why we don't see clusters of, let's say, prostitutes or homeless people being found, right. um, yeah. drowned um, or something. It's almost these they're, they're almost all educated generally. I mean, it's changed and morphed, but a lot of these people have higher education or are students, so maybe there's some kind of I absolutely animus, yeah. I'm I'm disgusted every time I see a case where the person was like very sporty, you know, maybe was in the navy or something, had a good head on their shoulders in terms of, you know, ability to be able to, you know, like they're they're either have a high sporting ability to be able to get out of the water or they're just very smart. I mean, it just makes me sick thinking that, you know, people are chalking these up. Every single one of them, they're chalking up to accident or they're chalking up to undetermined because nobody really has evidence of accidental deaths. They're just using that as a scapegoat. Nobody, I mean, not not in my case list of, of over 100 cases, is there a single piece of prima facie evidence as to why the victim ended up in the water or how, how or why they ended up in the water? So, um, right. yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, the last thing I'm going to say on the on the profile aspect, because um, we talked about the hyperconfidence, we covered pretty much everything. But the fact that, you know, Murphy, as I said, touched on this, the cases cluster largely beginning in 1997. And when you look, it's true. That is when there starts to be, you know, a lot of data points 
Um, and to me, that's, that's kind of opened up an investigative avenue, kind of where we got, where we're going with this video, which is the investigative avenue I believe that was opened up and I believe I followed, which is following an ideology that fits the profile that was actually being disseminated and is very popular at that specific time, right, on the internet. Not, we're not talking about now. We're not talking about, you know, at any point in time. We're talking about at that specific time, like using Wayback Machine and going to that time and looking at forums and posts and, Right. And, right, right. and how, what people were saying and what, their, what the ideologies were spreading and what was popular. And Siege, as I said, 1992 was when it was um, published for the masses. It existed a long time before then, kind of like in separate zines or whatever you call them. But now that was the time where I believe it was kind of put to mass, right? Put in a book, for, that all the zines were put in a book or all the ent entries were put in a book for you know, for people around the world to read. And that was in right. 1992. Right. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. So, I mean, the, yeah, there's ideological tie-ins here. I mean, people are going to, obviously, people who watch my previous videos are going to wonder about the ONA and its connection to all this. I mean, to me, it has a, an immense connection um, because, I mean, obviously, there's allegations of federal informants being behind the 2008 revival of the ONA. Um, and there's also allegations for that matter that Anton Long, right, David Mai to begin with, because he was like the leader of Combat 18, that he was a federal informant himself involved in, you know, Gladio and all kinds of stuff. So, right. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a continued issue with the whole far right is this whole informant surveillance stuff all the way to today. I mean, they had the guy, what, Suter, was an informant who'd been turned what, in 2003 or something. Correct. You have Suter, but also, I mean, there's people who have made allegations that Chloe herself is, you know, a fed. And I believe that, you know, there is some fire there. I believe, you know, other people who are involved. I mean, you have a guy, for instance, like I want to touch on this quickly is a guy like Brett Stevens, who um, that's a pseudonym. So I'm not too worried about talking about him. But regardless, I'm not too worried about talking about somebody who speaks about murdering people online because, at the end of the day, I would say the public, uh, the public uh, need to know is probably pretty high in a case like that. Um, a guy like Brett Stevens, who ran um, the before running the ONA.org website and, you know, remotely posting on it sometimes, he ran um, American Nihilist Underground Society website, and he now runs America.org website. Um, and he posts under the ONA website under the name Brett Stevens. He's the basically operator of the website and kind of, you know, runs it with Chloe. The um, ONA.org, that one? Yeah. And what's interesting about him, I found, is that he does an interview in Fenrir very early with, with somebody. I can't remember an interview about his beliefs. And then never again is he seen under the name Brett Stevens in any other edition of Fenrir. And it made me wonder, okay, is it just that he just stopped liking to write. But then I realized, I'm like, no, Brett Stevens loves to write. He writes on three different websites, for God's sakes, right? Um, and he still writes to this day like crazy on America.org. Um, so to me, there, it didn't make sense why he they would do an interview and then not actually contribute to any of the Fenrir's personally. And then it hit me that there is a high likelihood that he was the one writing under um, Anton Long. Hmm. Um, for the uh, for the you know 2008 revival which you know supports some degree of of federal connections because this guy's been writing for the past 
20 years on some pretty goddamn extreme content. As I said, if you go back to his American Nihilist Underground website, Society, this guy has some crazy negative eugenic views. For him to not already be on law enforcement um, um, radar by 2008, but a guy like um, Sutter, Sutter sorry, is, right? But not Stevens, but Stevens is involved in the ONA and so is Sutter. And they're both kind of in the more, you know, uh, extreme kind of extreme aspect of the ONA, right? The more negative eugenic type thought. So it, it makes sense to me that there is multiple um, pieces of evidence to support the fact that the ONA was either taken over or just being used by certain in, informants or individuals to kind of maybe get people, um, like essentially the type of people who would join Adam often to get them to try and contact them, right? To make them um, believe that there were other people that believed in this type of extreme negative eugenic thought, basically human calling, right? right. Essentially that, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, enactment of natural justice, right? Which right. is how they view human calling. Um, essentially to have them try and contact them, right? And, you know, have them get on their radar. And it, it's to me, it's very interesting why the feds would be interested in that specific area of person. And it's not pretty, it's not exactly rocket science to believe that the reason why they were interested is because they believe people were actually killing people as a result of that ideology. That ideology, sure. Why else would they be interested? Right, the people are going, I mean, if the, yeah. It's part of the ONA septenary way, right? Find an opera. And it reminds me of what Chloe said in one edition of Fenrir, where she was goading people who aren't true, um, true adherents of, you know, this kind of, you know, satanic um, negative eugenic thought. And she said, and she's essentially goading people into saying, you know, if you were, you would know that, you know, the key to calling is blackout spots and red light districts, which is what she right. specifically says. Right. And it makes sense to me that somebody who's saying it like that in that way wants somebody to contact them, wants somebody to try and impress them to say, hey, you know, you're you're making fun of everybody saying they don't know the true aspect. They don't know the true, you know, key to calling. And you do. Well, hey, look, I do as well. Look at this or hear, hear about this story, which is essentially what the methodology of the operation was with the ONA and what they were using it for. Right. 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 So the, the ideology is still out there, but the centralized thing is trying to connect people and possibly turn them or manipulate them or something. Right. This, this leads into where we're going with the video, which is Mason, because it's clear that the gun of this operation was aimed at people who are on the more extreme edge of siege culture, people who, you know, were believers of the lone wolf, um, you know, natural justice type of right. uh, belief system. Right. Right. And which is kind of where we're going with the whole aspect of where, where kind of our research, this research leads in why, why it leads into James Mason and siege culture. Right. It leads to, because Mason has the same kind of ideology. It's very similar to ONA. Negative eugenics, killing people. Don't get caught. Don't waste yourself. You know, don't waste yeah. your, your time killing people, those type of things. Yeah, I mean, one of the, basically, I mean, one of the, one of the cornerstones of the more extreme versions of neo-Nazism is the connection between negative eugenics 
decadence, degeneracy, and the decay of Western civilization, right? Um, that's, you know, where it gets really extreme, where people find the justification to murder people. Um, I mean, people who saw our previous videos on the ONA understand how the ONA was stylized as kind of like an elitist street cleaner ideology, right. where people who abuse like the natural order, like homo hubris, are seen to be degrading like spiritual or moral values right. and deserve divine retribution. Um, it's very similar to the type of person that James Mason would be attracting with his writings. Um, for instance, so this connection I thought was interesting. Obviously, we know that Anton Long named this type of individual, the type of individual responsible for the downfall of Western civilization, to be homo hubris. Homo means human, obviously. Um, the term hubris stems from Greek tragedy, where we talked about this before, where the character kind of is responsible for breaching the natural order of things in the universe. And that breach ultimately kind of has a direct causation to their death. Um, and I think it's just, just to throw in there, I think it's funny that the literal translation of humorous is loss of contact with reality. And that it's antonym is sophrosy, which is literally translated as temperance, prudence, and moderation. So essentially the opposite of the smiley face killer victims or the victims, people who would perceive that type of person. And as it comes back to what, what um, Murphy said about the occult leanings of the victim choice, right? Choosing right. that specific type of person, the person who's, you know, an escapist, who isn't, you know, striving for anything. In I'm not saying that these, these kids are responsible for these things, but I'm just saying that, that this is how they're perceived by this, right. by this ideology. Agreed, right. So, so the point I'm making is that the notion of this unbalanced individual being like responsible for the decline of Western civilization is actually not unique to Long. And it's influential kind of in more extreme elements of neo-Nazism. And this is evident. Um, first of all, it makes sense because Mayan has a historical neo-Nazi influence with Combat 18. So it makes sense that whatever his core philosophy would be influenced by that. But that's neither here nor there. I mean, the concept, this concept actually is traced back to, as you said, they talked about earlier, Rockwell and Mason, who worked under him. Both of their writings um, have discussion about the exact concepts that Anton Long is talking about, the homo hubris, um, oh, really? no, order, negative eugenics. Um, I mean, I have some quotes here, but I, I mean, it's to me, that's one of the int most interesting connections and it's it's a, exactly evident why they would use the ONA the way they used it and what they were looking for what type of individual they thought would potentially be dangerous enough to give effect to these writings right wow so they're it's the same thing there's the, they have similar things maybe the ONA is more uh clever in their layout of the concepts, but the concepts are the same. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, Mason specifically talks about the, uh, the aspects that, these aspects in his writings. I mean, one, one quote which stands out to me, um, I mean, there's, a, there's actually a couple, and he, he takes this exact point from Rockwell, which is funny. So Rockwell first makes this point um, in his writings, and then, and then, um, um, Mason makes the same points in his writings later. Um, 
so for for instance, a quote by Rockwell, anyone is conceited and foolish enough to be determined to flaunt the laws of nature may do so, but only for a limited period of time, he cannot go on doing so indefinitely. Um, and Mason talks about that in his, in his writings, and he says his quote is, only man in his ignorance, pride and conceit, his off-base worldview with, his, with himself at the center of the universe and above natural law has made possible the awful mess people are living in today. So that's the that's that's what's wrong with society today, right? The, ter the people who um, who are above natural law, as he describes it, uh, which is essentially what hubris is, right? Somebody who believes they're above natural law and gets right. divine, basically gets put in check by the gods or divine retribution, or put in check by some some um, some entity or influence. Right. I mean, yeah, so I've got, there's tons of stuff that he writes about in Siege, the original Siege. The connection to homo hubris is what I wanted to first kind of throw out there. Because I, I, to me, I, you know, the fact that they both, him and Long, are both talking with the same type of individual who's responsible for the downfall of, you know, what we're seeing in society today. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's quite something. I mean, Siege has to be the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous playbooks ever written. It teaches, it basically teaches neo-Nazi revolutionaries how to attack the system from the perspective of efficiency and longevity. It contains broad critiques of previous individuals whose methods were ineffective, like low value, resulted in immediate incarceration of the perpetrator for life, right? People who just did things for shock factor and didn't actually have any practical effect. Um, right which to me is very dangerous because, as I said, couple that with lone wolf ideology. How do you know if the, the goal is efficiency and longevity and there's no hierarchical structure to infiltrate? How do you know what crimes are committed? Where are the crimes, right, that are being committed like that, right? Right. Um, so. Yeah, it's just interesting going through his stuff is like we are alone. Or being surveilled, be aware of that. Yeah, it's it's know. adaptation in the face of federal assets infiltrating their circles, right? It's them changing the way they operate because of so much infiltration. Right. Talks about move. You know, it's almost similar to like, uh, similar to like the concepts that are within the ONA. This is one like lone wolf random action. I was thinking aloud to my friend to grab a Greyhound bus to California or wherever and take a motel room, rent a car in order to stalk one's prey, a worthy prey in an effective manner, which would require absolute cold calculation, a truly disciplined spirit. It would be part of an act of revolution, not a crime of passion, as have been too many such racist killings of late. So it's like the same cold calculated, you know, get in, commit your crime and get out. Correct. Avoid jail at all costs. Ensure that you make ensure that your actions have maximal effect, right? Because you know he was saying he says that you know a lot you know most of the time you know the price of revolution is death or jail, and he's right. So they're trying to ensure that if that end up it ends up becoming their you know final place that they you know don't feel that they've wasted their opportunity. Um, for instance, one this is a quote by Mason. One circumstance that does not very definitely make the prospect of even minimal confinement appear outside the bounds of consideration is the thought of prison after having not struck a significant enough blow at the enemy first. 
infer, in short, prison as a result of failure, as a result of inaction. Um, so he's saying in short. So he's saying basically um, you, you, the, the thought of being confined without hitting hard enough or hitting, hitting a hard enough blow first is, is basically too much for him to bear. Right. That's like, you know, that would, that would be like, you know, not, not uh, tenable for him. Right. Right. The revolutionary moves first. He says, decide what your course shall be well in advance, have your plan well laid. So the possibility of arrest, imprisonment, untimely death may be reduced to a minimum. As, as a sudden fugitive, your chances of success um, adjusting to and functioning with underground environments are tremendously reduced. As a volunteer, you first prepare and then you choose the time and place. So he's saying that um, fugitives are ones who are basically going underground and are, you know, and are, you know, ha have real trouble marking their uh, or having real trouble affecting their uh, success, right? Even if they're not in jail, they're known unto the police. They're being followed by the police. They're known, you know, associates of whatever, who and who. You know, it's hard for them to affect their goals. But he's saying as a volunteer, you first prepare, then choose the time and place. You're basically doing your own, right, your own work. Um, and you don't have to worry about kind of being, uh, being on the run. Um, being, you know, uh, being on the on the radar of uh, of uh, law enforcement. All right, and it's also contempt for other people. There's another one, like he for people who don't know, uh, Mason became friends with Charles Manson, like literally reached out to some family members, and then they started something called the uh, was it the Immortal? No, the Universal, Universal Order. Order. Yeah, and so he were they really thought that Charles Manson was some kind of like hero like an ideal this is a guy who's killing people secretly killing people they don't know how many people the family killed they know that there were certain obvious murders the tate labianca killings but there are probably more deaths surrounding them but uh talk about like a, a secret killer was manson but also the contempt for the beautiful people so in cg writes in my book there's really nothing more vile and detestable than a crowd of the so-called beautiful people centered on los angeles New York and all the really fashionable resort spots, etc. These are the types set up by the media to be worshipped and emulated by the masses. Take a look around the results of 50 years of this. So it's like that kind of civil contempt for urban people. So that may be an element of these cases. Is I there's a lot of quotes about that areas. about how you know um, centers like that are centers for miscegenation, right? For people to like you know gene mix and stuff like that. Um, he says here. Uh, he says here about uh, society, drug suicide, miscegenation, every manner of degeneracy is smart, cool, sophisticated, and quite acceptable in the course of demonstrating one's individuality. Mindless pleasure bent is smart in quotations. Clinging to a false sense of material security is smart. On goes the rationale. When it catches up with them in full, they'll be wondering why, right? So, so remember we talked about Anton Long had a very similar perspective on who was responsible for like, you know, you know, the particular um, egregious, you know, um, perpetrators of the downfall. And it does seem to have a, you know, ideological core. It says this does seem to be an ideological core component of what um, is being argued by Mason, kind of like the hatred of the essentially the exact um, state, uh, 
a, like a victim typology of the smiley face killer uh, victim. Basically, right. so it's, yeah, Mason's view is like you know the urban coastal people are horrible too. So maybe that's something that's uh, promoted within these groups. It's not just a kind of a view of the leaders, but hey, these are all kind of like the people who are bringing down the downfall of our these urbanites. These this is a good one. You'll you know? like this one. I don't. What I call the de- uh, is. This isn't the one you just wrote, right? No, you were, okay, so you didn't, what I call the death zones, he says, which are simply the metropolitan areas of the country um, where Big Brother's grip is the tightest and the lowest common denominator genetic miasma has you badly outnumbered. The uh, whites still there are totally gone to degeneracy and live life itself already abnormal, a mutation of once, once it was. So that's what he believes these whites who are engaged in like, you know, degeneracy are at mutations, right? That's how, that's how this, you know, philosophy, which has spread believes, right? So, I mean, you can, it doesn't, doesn't take, as I said, it doesn't take, you know, a lot of imagination to understand why you can see the profile of whoever is committing the smiley face killer would or could potentially be superimposed on this type of ideological hatred for degeneracy and, escapism and essentially just um what has what we see today in urban centers um and how people live right and that's kind of like the nazi view right like we're the clean ones they're the dirty ones they're the misogynists the degenerates we're fighting you know the real battle so you can kind of see like that that we're going to go into these urban centers and you know kill these these are bad news people you know they're not the kind of people we're trying to you know emulate they're they're our enemy so yeah it's like these are the it's the same thing man you can overlay mason with the ona there's no doubt about it and maybe just stone cold like uh not just nazism in general it's us against them right antagonists we're like, you know, the clean, pure master race, and these guys are all so-and-so, so we can get rid of them. I would say, so. I mean, so when you when you look into seizures, as you said, there's you told me in the pre-show, there's three, there's how many versions now, sorry? There's six. Six versions. Yeah. Um, and each version has little bites of paragraphs that were written at different points in time by Mason. So it's not like, you're getting a complete picture of his writings in one point. You're getting kind of his like, you know, scattered thoughts at certain points in time, his, you know, scattered viewpoints in one, in one kind of little tight article. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's another article right after it and then another one, right. And each have dates. So there's a lot to go through, but um, as I see siege culture and I mean, quite frankly, all the research we did within into the ONA, and the connections that we believed were shown to the smiley face killer victimology, modus operandi, um, just kind of any connection that we made, I believe is important because um, of how much it connects to what we're seeing with siege culture and how it connects to the profile as well. There's clearly a greater ideology that was being targeted with the ONA, right? Right. And the reason why it was targeted is clearly important. 
is clearly important and it's because they believe that murders were happening and that there were dangerous people that were not on the radar that needed to be found. Right. So that's your kind of position is the ONA was put together as a kind of honey trap to find people, those similar people that it wasn't it, actually, it's very, very likely. Very likely. I don't know so, if it's hundred percent, but I would say it's very likely. So, and the, the interesting part is all, all that research is still relevant, but when you look at the profile that we discussed earlier in the video, right? So the first part of the profile is that the cases are global, right? So the, the first right. part is that we have to have a global ideology. I believe that this certainly checks that. And I believe that there's actually not a lot of ideologies that do check that box, right? Um, to, to have the type of global permeation to be responsible for murders, you know, um, in different countries. Um, that I believe is obviously checked by the, um, the um, contemporary influences of siege culture, but it's not checked by a lot of other things that people have discussed, right? So that's why, I, you know, it's a great fit for the first kind of aspect of the profile, I would say. Right. I mean, and then, so obviously we're talking about um, staying out of jail, right? I mean, right. part of my profile has always been that whatever ideology it is has to be, you know, hyper-competent and focused on the aspect of um, obfuscation and avoiding prison, right? There's just no way to, there's just no way about it. And to me, that's another box checked by, um, by what we're discussing today. Yeah. What's really scary is that he knew three killers, right? He knew these guys, Spizak. He knew, um, he knew this guy Vaughn. He, he knew, so maybe he knows other people too. Like I imagine, I believe imagine, that that's, yeah. that's why the ONA was, that's why they were, the feds were scared of him and the scared of what the type of people that were potentially absorbing his, um, literature and how his literature was being shaped by serial killers, right? Because he was friends with Nansen, as you said. And, uh, and he, he, uh, he was uh, very friendly with uh, Anton LaVey and, you know, had correspondence with, you know, all of them. And um, yeah, it's it, clearly there's, there's, there's um, it's, it, it's no, you don't have to use your imagination as to why the feds would have been interested in this and they, why they would have had to use something like the ONA to infiltrate um, lone kind of, or to ensure that they get maybe potential lone wolves who are out there on their radar um, because they couldn't typically, they couldn't technically do um, what they did with Adam Waffen, um, right. which was kind of send in a guy like Sutter to kind of, you know, blow it up. Yeah. Or infiltrated or, you know, maybe, I don't know what Sutter's plan really was. I mean, obviously he was, drafting some extremist literature, whether he was trying to find some people or whether he was actually trying to destroy Adam Waffen, just, you know, if that was his goal, I don't know. Well, he might've been given orders. Hey, here it is. Here's some money. Go do this, get some information. And we're going to put all these guys in jail. And for people who don't know, the head of Adam Waffen was trying to blow up the uh, electrical infrastructure of Baltimore. And that was uh, Brandon. What was his name? Brandon. Forgot his last name, but yeah, he was he's going to the big town for a long time. And Mason wouldn't even like these people, right? These people who are doing these big one-time stunts who don't actually affect change, but are are you know getting caught and going to jail, right? I mean, somebody I heard recently right. the average I, IQ of serial killers who get caught is you know a lot less than you know um, the average of serial killers who don't get caught, but you don't know the ad the second, right? Right. 
Yeah, the serial killers. The they're they're the smart ones are the scary ones. Brandon Clint Russell is the guy's name. But yeah. Um, and that that's why the whole obfuscation, staying out of jail, right, aspect of the ONA and siege culture, right? You know, ensuring that what your crimes you can stay out of jail and continue doing them, that they don't, you know, that suspicion isn't, you know, isn't uh it isn't seen as a crime relating to neo-Nazism or Satanism, right? It's just seen as a crime or it's seen as an accident, which they do say specifically, right? Um, so I would say that that, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the lone wolf killer aspect of it to me is the, 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 the most interesting part because to me, that's one of the core aspects of the profile. Right. Yeah, think about somebody who's like uh, Hewerman, right? This guy, the the Lisk killer. Like that guy probably was. They say that if you're a serial serial killer, your killings start like at an early age, or like in the mid twenties or something like that. Like you work your way up, but then this guy's fifty nine. Like, what's he been doing for twenty five years? There must He's be, got busted there must for be three others. or four. Oh yeah, no doubt. It's just like that guy MacArthur up in uh, Canada. Like, there's got to be others. These guys are, you know. How many people did Jeffrey Dahmer kill? 20, something like that? Like, until he got caught. So there's probably some guys out there with some pretty intense body counts associated with the smiley face killing killers that, that have and absorbed. They all, they all have to be lone wolf or very small sex because at the end of the day, there's no other way it would have worked. Right, um, right. There's no other way it would be working to this day, which we, I mean, it's the, the phenomenon is not cold, right? It's it's happening to this day. It's, happen, dude, it's happening crazy. Houston, Austin, Chicago, two, so, two in Vancouver. So think about that. Think about that for a second. We have the need for global permeation, the need for the avoidance or discussion of avoidance of, of going to prison and essentially obfuscation. Um the competency, right? The hyper competency to put the work together, which is the militaristic aspect of it, the lone wolf aspect of it, right? I'm talking about all the things that connect the profile to siege, right? The lone wolf aspect of it, um, um, the militaristic aspect, which I just said. I mean, to me, that's another thing where you have to say that there is hyper competence amongst the killers who, at whatever ideology is responsible, if there is a permeating ideology responsible for multiple of the smiley face killer murders. It has to be one which it dic like uh, has enough competence and has enough ability um, amongst its adherents to um, to execute them. Right? It has to have people who are training in par paramilitary or ex-military, which um, clearly uh, siege uh, checks that box. Right. Having militaristic kind of ideological leanings, right? Clandestine, you know, black ops type type, you know. Um, right. Cleanings. If you if you go back this new version, let me see if I can find this picture. They are like seriously black op action stuff going on here. Like the, the Siege 6. Let's see if I can find this. Like some of these names. I don't even know who some of these faces are, but that's uh, William Von Nudigem, right? So Siege is definitely tying itself in and that's... Uh, they're, glor they're glorifying the killers. Right? And I don't know. So are these some Von killers that an idiot. Von Nudigem's an idiot as well, right? I mean, he on the scale of the, like one to ten in terms of intelligent ONA killers or intelligent satanic neo-Nazi killers, he's low on the scale because he was caught and he did something right on in front of camera, 
and his right. video and his face was seen. He's not one we I would be too worried about. I'm worried more about the guy who got caught doing something that was actually very creative um, okay. or something and then might have actually been responsible for other stuff in the past. Like as so you this said, is the all list, Owen, list right. killer, yeah. This is all ONA uh molt kind of drawings and stuff like that. But I'm trying to find one specific thing. Let me see if I can find it. This is like an ONA, you know, demon uh sigil. But let me see. While while you're looking for it, the last two parts of the um profile, one of them being the fact that the ideology needed to proliferate around the mid-90s. We've already spoken upon that, that connects as well. Um, whatever, whatever the ideology is, it had to have been around at that time. And then the last part is the kind of institutional disruption, social critique, um, which is what's being affected and what could potentially be affected if, you know, word ever were to get out or were ever to be confirmed by law enforcement, then maybe a large percentage of these or even a medium percentage of these were murders. There would be mass institutional, um, um, Disen disenfranchisement is the word I would say. And so yeah. that was Denton right there. Look at him in his outfit. It's like a black magic outfit. He's got the full on rifle. He he, badges, uh, he he uh he Den Cameron Denton, you were saying was the one who did the uh fourth edition, yeah. Fourth edition of um of Siege. Correct. And to me, this is the exact type of individual that the, the, the feds were interested in entrapping with kind of ONA literature and the paragons they kind of, you know, were, were, were using to kind of um, attract people, right? These kind of like, you know, Sutter, Chloe uh, Stevens type individuals um, that like a guy like Cameron Dent, who nicknames himself Rape. And who right. takes pictures with guns, and you know, is is you know probably pretty 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 uh, um, hyper focused on negative eugenics, and uh, you know this whole street cleaner ideology. Um, that's who they were targeting, um, and which is where Mason you know plays into everything, into what we spoke about with the ONA. Right. There's Woodard. He hasn't even been tried yet. That's the guy who killed Blaze Bernstein. So I don't even know if he's repented. I don't know what his thing is. The base. That's probably that's that's probably it for the profile. I mean, I would say that everything I spoke about, kind of, you know, I just wanted to sh like people are going to go read Siege and read all this stuff, and there's so many, so many passages and so many things that he says. Um, but to me, as I said, it just it hits so many notes and reinforces so much of the research that I've done before on the Smiley Face Killer and all the clues that I thought. I found within ONA literature and ONA websites, you know, just in terms of how the thought process and how people want to, you know, want to achieve these killings. He said something in, um, in siege where he acknowledges that the effects will reverberate through society, like the effects of these actions. So he's knowingly and intentionally acknowledging that these crimes that they're going to commit, you know, under the surface, has there's an intent to like affect the psychosphere i'm trying to find it i wish that's I could that's it. a that's a good point i mean i would say that if you if you viewed the smiley face killer to be real in a in a ball in a in a bubble right if you just because a lot of people don't believe it to be real I, I obviously the term smiley face killer is a kind of like a 
catch, you know, catchphrase. Right. Doesn't really. The happen. phenomenon is definitely real. The phenomenon itself is movie. correct. Yeah, it is happening. Correct. Yeah. yeah. There's no doubt about it. Let me see the mood of mo the population. I'm trying to find this little statement he makes. It's really something else. The hellish unnatural life support of the megalopoly, which contained the bulk of genetic morass, morass and the clonish zombie-like lost whites. So like he's already like saying, and second, the money weapon having evaporated in the thin air, the sold out politicians and pigs become fair game for a population bet, bent on blood gut. Glut. Yeah, I wish I could find the thing where he says it. Or I mean, if you, if you, if, if, if the listeners use their brain, they're going to realize that, as I said, if you look at the smiley face killer in a bubble and you have faith that it, there are murders there, um, you have to realize that there's very few things that fit the profile, right? There's very few things that can actually be attributed or attributable to what's what we're seeing here, right? There's not that many things where I can read a profile like I just read and tick that many boxes and say, okay, there's something else we gotta look at here. Right. right. And if there was, I'm sure people would be, you know, talk would be talking about it and doing shows about it. Um, but um, the the actual effects that these murders have had, right? And like the way in which the success and the way in which they've able to essentially, you know, undermine um, institutions, institutions which a lot of people have, you know, faith in, like, you know, faith in these institutions are basically um, fundamental to the social contract, right? If nobody had faith in the police services, then, uh, then, uh, then, you know, right? I mean, no, it would be anarchy. So, um, right. yeah, the more you read it, you just see the thinking. See the thinking that could be inspiring or informing the people committing these crimes. No, no question. It's like a contemptuous, I'm better than you. You're a degenerate. I can do what I want. And you kind of see actually the interesting thing about this sixth edition is um, the downward facing uh, trident, right? Is right there on the front. Let me see if I can pull that back up. Like we've talked about the trident, right? The tricycle or whatever it was. Correct. So that's it right there on Siege. So you've got the kind of downward facing trident concept of uh, the underworld being brought up to the real world. I think yeah, it's man. funny also people, people um, utilize the fact that the feds came into Wisconsin there and did a little, you know, did a little... Uh, did a little investigation and found that none the deaths weren't connected, that that means that the, none of the killings in any other country or state are, are foul play. I mean, think about the type of mental gymnastics it takes to say, okay, they investigated 12 killings in Wisconsin. And now we know for sure that none of the killings anywhere else in the last 30 years are homicides. Right. Yeah. No, that's embarrassing. It is. It really <clears throat> I mean, is. Especially with these recent cases. I mean, come on. If the, Austin. If, if the feds were to know, this is what the most interesting part is. Like to me, we the public, it would be like aliens, right? If the feds knew that aliens were coming, they would never tell the public because it would be anarchy. The same right. with this. If the feds knew that there was potentially being crimes committed and they didn't know the extent of them, they wouldn't tell the public. We wouldn't find out about it. They would just be investigating it. And maybe if they solved it or if they found some people who were doing it, they we wouldn't know about it. 
right? I, I don't think they would tell us because, and I'll tell you why they wouldn't tell us because the fundamental disruption or the fundamental disenfranchisement that would occur in the system is not what feds, right? They're, they don't, they don't do that. They don't allow that to happen um, consciously, right? They will protect those sacred institutions as far as they can, um, because that's how the social contract is achieved, right? Like is, is maintained. So we wouldn't hear about it. So at the, at the point I'm making is that I, I verily believe that the feds are currently investigating some clusters right now and we would never hear about it. And the reason why I believe that is because they're goddamn too fucking obvious. I'm sorry. Like I'm sitting here, you know, I have analysis of 30 different clusters. I'm looking at some of these clusters, which, you know, have nothing to do with the fucking 12 Wisconsin clusters that the, the 12 Wisconsin cases, the FBI um, found that there was no connection with. Um, and I'm looking at them. I'm like, these are definitely being investigated. There's no fucking bloody way. The mathematics, the, 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 the probability, the, the, like I'm looking at a case of nine cluster of cases, nine cases, not a single case in this cluster has any prima facie evidence in either direction, whether it was an accident or a homicide, which means um, realistically speaking, if there's no prima facie evidence in either direction, it's an even distribution or a more even distribution. It might be, uh, if there's 12 cases, it might be nine to three, right? The distribution, it might be six and six. It might be, right, five and seven. Um, but it's definitely not 12 and 0, right? right. Because right. think about that, right? For, for 12 cases um, or nine cases, a cluster of nine cases or even seven cases, for every single one of them to be a drowning of an individual who we, we discussed earlier, right? The type of individual who would most likely not be succumbing to this type of accident, right? Very sporty, very smart, um, good head on their shoulders, not definitely, you know, the type of dregs of society, right? Who would, you know, we're talking about, you know, Navy men, we're talking about people who are, you know, college athletes, right? Um, you're talking, you're telling me that, that they are seven, eight, nine, sometimes concurrent drownings with no prima facie evidence in either direction. And, and all of the cases should be attributed to one side, despite the fact that the evidence doesn't point to either side? No, I'm sorry. So I have faith. I have faith that there are law enforcement. Um, Looking around, yeah. The Chicago cases, the most recent 2023 Chicago cases are off the charts. Come on. Seamus Gray, Arduno, Arce. These guys are so suspicious. Suspicious not only because of the circumstances of their cases, but also suspicious because of how they relate to historical cases in that exact same fucking area. Right. I mean, these are just the recent cases. I mean, you can go back through Chicago for a long time. There's so many. Some of the bigger cases were out there. Wasn't not some of the bigger clusters. Wellsine. There's some some big clusters in Chicago. There's no doubt. Oh, yeah. It's off the charts. There's definitely somebody. There's a malefactor of some sort. Just like Gacy. I mean, how many people did Gacy kill? 40? There's even like, have you heard the stories of him? Was it you who sent that to me that he was actually stalking people out of state, traveling around and staying at hotels? No, I, yeah. I, I didn't do, I haven't done any research on DC. We talked about, I think, Bowman. Bowman? Um, uh, uh, Bowman, right? Uh, the guy, the guy who was uh, preying on gays at bars. Oh. Oh, yeah. Hold I don't know. Hold on. Hold on, I'm guessing I'm getting his name wrong. Anyways, the the, the guy who he was uh, he was in the Midwest, 
preying on guys at bars. He'd take them back to his house, kill them, and bury them in his in his farmhouse. Remember? Oh, and then yeah, he, yeah, yeah. And then he drove. So the, the the reason why that case is interesting. And he drove to Canada, right, and killed and himself? And killed himself, yeah. yeah. The reason why that case is interesting, though, is because the police were discounting the serial killer theory, just like the smiley face killer theory. Public, the greater public was discounting it as well, simply because of the the victims and their lifestyles, right? The, the stereotypes about, okay, they're gays, they're, they're, um, they're on the fringe of society. So as such, they're probably, you know, you know, those type of people fall through the cracks, right? Um, so there's no serial killer, just, you know, those are, that's just the nature of those type of people. They, you know, they're, they, they come and they go, um, they're transient. Um, and th that type of stereotyping is exactly what resulted in um, Baumeister. Herb Baumeister, Baumeister, yeah. Herb Baumeister. Herb Baumeister is the guy's yeah. name. That's exactly the type of thinking that allowed him to actually like have a kill count of, uh, what was his kill count? 20. Um, 24 victims, 11 to 24 wow. victims. And the only reason why he was successful was the same reason why the smiley face killers was successful um, because they're choosing victims that get stereotyped. They're choosing victims who are in a specific in, uh, scenario who are, who get stereotyped and who, who, who are not perceived as important enough to, um, to uh, fully investigate and, or perceived to have been responsible somehow throughout the, through the way they lived their life for the way that they died. Right. Right. Didn't Baumeister like get people in a pool and try to drown them too? Like there's some. I thought there was some water element. There, there was. I think the guy who was who ended up um, who ended surviving, up yeah. surviving was his his story was that uh, Baumeister tried to drown him in his pool or something like that. But I, I, uh, I, as I recall, he escaped and told the police, um, and that's how they caught the guy. Yeah, he had a fake name, Brian Smart. And that's what Baumeister went by. So, you know, somebody's probably doing the same thing. Fake name. That, that this guy, uh, Hewerman, had a fake name too. He had a couple fake names. So that seems to be a commonality. Yeah, Hewerman. Yeah, I mean, this is like looking into serial killers. Humor, Hewerman like women, but you can kind of see the the same sensibility to technical. Hewerman was technically savvy, right? Burner phones and cell phones and things like that. But uh, you can see that some of the smiley face killer types are doing the same stuff. I mean, clearly siege culture was perceived by the feds to be dangerous enough to be worth infiltrating, right? And dangerous enough, we know, with the feds doesn't mean they're, they're cutting their wrists. You know that, right? With the feds get involved, they believe that there's some capital crimes happening, right? Like murder. And uh, right, serious, yeah. serious crimes. Um, and I mean, Mason actually talks. I just, I just want to point out that Mason actually talks about these operatives in siege, talking about how that's like the, the strongest um, weapon the federal government has, which basically guided his entire philosophy in terms of lone wolf serial killing to basically nullify the strongest weapon that they have, which is this infiltration. Um, with operatives, right? Right. And then their plans being leaked and they're, you know, them not being able to give full effect to, to their plans because they're in jail or they're on the radar of the feds. I mean, there's no chance at infiltrating one individual, right? <laughs> right. Right. That's the whole lone wolf thing. That's their, that's their solution. Yeah. Smaller groups. 
And that's the only way the smiley face killer hat, like that's the only way the profile fits. If there is killers out there, they are not part of the same institution. It's not hierarchical. There's no connection between the, two, between the killers. Right. They are distinct killers. They may or may not know the existence of each other. Um, but as far as I know, they don't, they don't know of the specific existence of other people. They just know the general existence. Like they might've shared the MO online. So they know other people right. are doing it. They might see the crimes in the news. Right. So they know other people are out there, but they're, they're, beyond that, they don't know specific names of who the other perpetrators are. They don't know, like you know, where to find them if they want right. to find them. Um, there's none and the of perp, other perps may be using fake names too, but it would be very eerie. I think that there, there was like a book or a movie about two serial killers who met up and you know worked together, but it would be creepy, like being a smiley face killer in Chicago, watching it happen in Boston. You know, like. I have now that there's somebody over there doing the same thing I am, right? Because obviously it's not the same person. That's like one of the biggest uh, mistakes, analytical mistakes these guys make. It's like somebody, else, oh, you think one guy's doing all these cases? No, of course not. It's multiple people, multiple jurisdictions uh, that know this. Uh, do you know the case of? MO. Do you know the case of Matthew Shepard? Yeah, but that was the gay guy, right? Suppose the drug dealer who supposedly that was so, Colorado, right? Some people, yeah, some people argue it was a drug deal. I I think the case is interesting because obviously originally it got extreme exposure as a neo-Nazi murder, right? Like a murder against gays. Right, right? it was like an anti-gay murder, yeah. Correct. And the way that they did it, right, was like pretty much like they they made the guy suffer. I mean, the, the reason why I believed it wasn't related to drugs and I'll tell you this is because of the way that they tortured him, right? Um, I, I, I know, I, I know, I don't know like a lot about that industry. I just know about human nature and such like that. If it was, you know, it, it looked like it did look more of like a, uh, like there was some type of ideological issue there rather than just, you know, I'm going to kill this guy and take his drugs or I'm mad that he robbed me and I'm going to, you know, hurt him. Um, they, they tortured the shit out of him. Um, but it, it basically, they, they, it was on, you know, because of the fanatical nature of it and because of how, you know, how, um, how it was, it was perceived by the media, right. As a, as a gay bashing thing. Yeah. But the dude was a full on drug dealer. He burned somebody. That's really what it was. Right. Wasn't that the real story? I, I don't, I don't know the real story. I do know that the media sensation regarding it was, was, was indicative of people, um, was indicative of the opposite strategy that Mason talks about. Right. So that you see a case like this, and you know right away that, like you know, Mason, you know this is not the type of um, actions he's he's uh, condoning, right? Actions where people know instantly that there's or instantly try and connect right away that there's some type of ideological issue here, and they find the perps, they're in jail, um, right? There's no there's nothing being practically affected at that point, right? There's no institutions being undermined. There's no accelerationism there, right? It's just you lose. Right. You've you've committed one crime. You've you've affected very little change and you lose. You're now in jail for life. Um, and that happened in 1998, which uh, which I don't know, I just see as relevant because if I'm a, if the only reason why I see it as relevant, because if I am um, looking at this from the perspective of somebody who wants to commit sim similar crimes, but not be caught. Right. You're adjusting the way you're thinking. Right. You're not you're not doing what they did in the in the end, which was, you know, stick him up on a fence and make sure he's found, you know, covered in blood. Right. Like right. Yeah, they they, did they, really they do things where they, you do things where it's not perceived to be ideologically motivated. 
and not perceived to be related to what it is, right? You know, it reminds me of one of the graffitis that Gannon says would attribute to the killers. You know, you can't, you can't see what you're not looking at or you can't find what you're not looking for. Something like that is one of the graffitis Gannon believed was attributed to one of the right. earlier cases. I, I believe that's the way that the killers are thinking. You know, they, they need, they are trying to eliminate any um, potential um, belief that there's like an ideological component to it because that's where investigations start. I agree. Totally agree. Do you know the case of, do you know the case of the, uh, just the last thing, do you know the case of the, uh, the, um, the Sherman murders in Canada, the billionaire? Yeah. Murder? Yeah. The two mil, they were found in a pool too, right? Suspicious, never solved either, right? Not, not in a pool. They were found next to their pool, uh, okay, hanging. hanging. Okay. Yeah, it's not. That's not a big deal, anyways. But the the, the reason why I brought it up is because, um, in the um, documentary regarding that case, the investigator says that the reason why they were hung the way that they were hung was because the killer wanted to ensure that the police thought it was personal. When in reality, it's likely the opposite. It was likely over money, and it was likely probably very unpersonal. Right. But because the killer did that immediately, there was suspicion that, it, you know, that, you know, the crime, it was a crime. It was a personal nature of the crime, because why would you stage them like that if you didn't want to make a point? Right. Um, right. So, and it reminds me of the smiley face killers. It's the killers are intentionally doing very, something very similar. Right. They're intentionally ensuring that um, it's perceived as something it's not. And to see an investigator talk about that kind of just like in a real like homicide. You know, was was kind of funny, very interesting. Right, that's never been solved. I mean, the guy was what the tenth richest guy in Canada. It's incredible. Never been solved. Correct. Never been solved. But as I said, the, the the way the detective described the way the killer operated, that you know, it's clearly clear that you know, he hung them not because he he wanted you know he wanted to get back at them or he wanted to like hurt them. He did that because he wanted to make it seem like it was more personal than the killing actually was. Wow. To, 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 you know, put the, uh, put the blame elsewhere or to make it seem like the blame should be put elsewhere. Who benefited? I guess all the kids made a billion dollars or something, right? So, well, one of the other detectives says that in the documentary as well. He says, in any case like this, you follow the money, or somebody said that in the documentary, you follow the money. And I, I completely agree that, yeah. Kevin think, Donovan, was that the guy or was that the reporter? Yeah, he looks like Gannon too, which I think is actually hilarious. He reminds me a lot of Gannon. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, but hopefully Gannon, I mean, I still have a little bit of faith. I mean, I, I made a post on Twitter talking about how I thought that Gannon um, um, had probably caused more harm than, than helped the investigation at this point because he's caused so much innuendo and he's allowed, given basically the greater public a out in terms of when talking about this case, oh, you know, there's, you know, graffiti and, you know, FBI. And, oh, you know, right, 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 right. But I still have some faith that they might come out with something sooner or later. Um, that, you know, something like a book which talks about their entire investigation. Um, yeah, it would and, be nice. They yeah. could just share all of the information that they've compiled. Because there's a lot. There's, a, I mean, once you look at all the information and all the deaths, it's like, okay, something's going on. How is this, this phenomenon taking place? But they know more than we uh, they do. I was going through some of their earlier statements too, and it's like they were on point. I mean, Gilbertson and him were they kind of understood a lot of stuff from the very beginning. They ha they have an ideology that they're looking at. Um, they he says on Barstool, right? Uh, the Barstool right, right. Chicago podcast. He talks about ideology. He has an ideology that he's looking at, and he has people that he suspects and 
Um, he seems to be quite sure of himself. So I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to him releasing that eventually. Um, but yeah, as I too. said, it doesn't like his investigation um, and the FBI's investigation are limited in scope. That's what everyone needs to realize is the scope of this phenomenon is massive. Right. Uh, it's, it's more, more, it's more it's, jurisdictional, multinational. So it's bigger than any one investigation currently is right now. Um, because there's all these kind of small, as I said, the small investigation, the FBI in Wisconsin, you have the investigation of New York with Gannon, right? You have, um, right. you know, it's, it's beyond the, the phenomenon is well beyond any one particular, you know, focused investigation. And, um, I, I, I'm excited to hear, to see if he has anything. I mean, it's been 25 years they've been researching it and they haven't come out with anything new. So, right. Well, they did the, they did the six part series that I don't know. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what my gripe was with that series. I, I don't. I don't hate the fact that they're bringing um, spotlights to cases, but my problem with that series is it didn't situate the cases within the greater context of their clusters. So to me, the, the smiley right. face killer phenomenon is most um, potent, or it it it, it basically uh, convinces people the most when you pitch it, or when you discuss clusters, because there are certain clusters certain cases that don't actually make a lot of sense by themselves. But when you see them in the cluster, you're like, what the hell? There's like mathematics, like this doesn't make any right. sense, right? Like, right. right, like, you know, probability, right? Like it does, it's, it just, it's just way out there. Um, and they right. didn't do that, I don't believe. Um, I to totally me, agree. They should have, I think that, that that's how, I think they, if they focused one episode each on a cluster, right? That would have been better. I agree, oh, totally agree with you. Maybe, it would have showed we, the enormity of it. The way that it says, it's just six that. strange cases. Yeah, there's just six strange cases. That's what I tried to do in my first documentary. I covered 80 cases, but I no, mean, you they, did well. They... You did well in your documentary. That's the problem with what they did there. They were obviously under constraints, but they, as you said, yeah. they did six total cases. It looks like the cases are in a bubble, but they're not in a bubble. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're interesting. I think that, yeah, I think they should have taken a city and gone. This has happened like 20 or 30 times in this city, Chicago, New York, Boston. That would be the next. Yeah, like timing-wise, showing the timing of each death with, within the cluster, right? And showing the, the similarities between the different cases. Um, I mean, in my opinion, Will, we should do that. We should start a series yeah, where no we kidding. just, every single episode is a new cluster. Yeah. And you yeah, just absolutely. talk about the cluster yeah, yeah. in a specific episode. Right, because, I mean, uh, yeah. It, uh, yeah they, that would be the way to, like, track down somebody who's doing it is because you could trace these these specific events to something happening in that city. Right. And then somebody could go, what cell phones were in that area? You know what I mean? They could track it or walk it back. Like they did 2000 mules, right? All the ballot dumping and stuff. Like you can't, that. you can't do, do it any other way because if you pick one case from Chicago and you show it to someone, they'll say, okay, yeah, that's weird. And then they'll move on. They won't think it's like, you know, right. I think, I mean, the, the, the entire gravitas of a case is this, this, the way in which it is situated within its cluster. Um, so yeah, that was my, that was my gripe with the oxygen series, I would say. Yeah, me too. I mean, that'd be my gripe with them generally. Like, I think their book is good 14 cases and uh, case studies and forensic drawings, but just not showing the kind of, uh, breadth of how many of these cases and not really sharing kind of information. Cause there's so many people interested in these cases. If they would show the symbols or something, maybe other people would find them. They say they have symbols in addition to a smiley face and other things like, well, what are they? You know, because I've done, I mean, I've done my own research, but uh, 
You know, I wouldn't like be shocked. Said. I wouldn't be shocked if they came out and the ideology they're looking at that they spoke of in the bar stool is very similar to what we're discussing today. Because as I said, as I see my profile, which I have developed over the last 13 years, I mean, with 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 guidance from you, guidance from people like Murphy's article, all kinds of different contributors, right? In terms yeah, of you know. We've developed this profile, and as I, as I see the profile, I'm not taking too many liberties with it. I'm being very practical with what I believe the profile to be. And to me, as I said, there's very few things that fit that profile. So I'd be very shocked. I wouldn't be very shocked if they came out and had some, and were kind of in a similar kind of you know area. Yeah, me too. Is there anything you'd like to add? We're at 90 minutes. Anything you want to wrap yeah, up with? That's or? about it. I, uh, I think it. we covered a lot of good ground. I think we did. I think so too. I, you know, you kind of, when you go back over this stuff, you see more of the connections and things like that when you, especially if you're not like in it, you know, if you're looking at it objectively, but you can see the, these uh, definite thought patterns, these mind viruses, these guys have, where's the best place if somebody wants to reach out to you, uh, Igor, what uh, you're on, I know you're on Twitter, right? Yeah, Twitter's fine. I mean, I, uh, I, uh, emails, I will answer emails, I, uh, but, uh, Twitter is probably the best place to uh, ask me questions. And I, I really appreciate all contributors because contributors in regards to the ONA contributors, in regards to the smiley face killers. I mean, everybody who sent me stuff, I, uh, I, uh, I, I really appreciate it. And, um, I, I have you to thank obviously, because you gave me a platform to begin with, <laughs> Well, I thank you. I mean, I wouldn't have looked into a lot of the stuff if it wasn't for you. So thanks for reaching out to me. It's kind of like the way it works is this kind of decentralized people sharing info uh, increases people's understanding. And hopefully this kind of uh, this kind of tragedy will not happen as much as people become more aware and keep themselves safe and stay out of trouble. Know, know that these uh, predators are out there, man, just like this human guy. He was targeting women, but there's probably guys targeting men too. So everybody stay safe and thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You take it easy. All right. Take it easy. Stay there.